Warning, we're not medical professionals. We're just two gross weirdos fascinated by bodily functions who read too much WebMD. This podcast will contain some pretty gross content, so listen at your own risk. Gross Podcast. just live next door (laughs) oh i i thought i was gonna introduce tim and i was gonna call him my fur baby daddy Ooh, (laughs) weird (laughs) but apparently that didn't land as well as i thought i was going to i was going to introduce myself as the leg which has changed to the ball that is jessica oh ouch (laughs) (laughs) uh tim is jessica's husband and also a really great friend. Oh, shucks. Uh, ooh. <laughs> I reached my goal today. By sitting down? By sitting down. <laughs> Good job. That's that, my what body's a great time doing. for body check-ins. <laughs> body check-ins. How's your body, Katie? Uh, my body is okay. I've been eating super healthy this week and feeling great. I did have a giant um, cystic zit on my back that... I made Jessica uh, pop for me a couple days ago, and um, you since thought Amy's out of town. <laughs> yeah, since Amy's gone, um, and Jessica thought it was gonna come back, but it actually didn't. It's healing cool. up. I guess I squeezed Mostly. all the blood out. There of There might be a little bit coming back, but it was super big and gnarly, and like right under where my bra connects. And it was so painful that that is mostly why I had to pop it. Was to stop that but other than that i'm feeling great cool how's your body i'm feeling kind of the opposite because i had not very healthy food a few moments ago so i ate too much of it and i'm on that like right on the cusp of pooping feeling (laughs) (laughs) and you're gonna be feeling that the whole time we're recording so if i just like get up and run to the bathroom it's because i ate a black bean burger (laughs) <laughs> and too many french fries and you know yep. when you have those like soft farts where you have like a moment where you're like is that poop and you're like no i didn't just poop my pants <laughs> yeah that's where i'm at you know interestingly <laughs> the anus is the only sphincter in the body that's able to differentiate between states of matter Ooh. yeah whoa if you think about it like it knows if you have liquid poop or solid poop or air is there any other t- time when a of thing passes through a sphincter in your body that you go like "Ooh, there's some liquid going from my stomach to my lower intestine i don't know that i don't know like that i when, can tell do you even have nerves in your other sphincters they're, yeah they're not innervated really but let me tell you that butthole it's a, it's a, it's a really it's smart su- potty part surprises you very rarely and when it does 
boy howdy. Hope you have a change of underpants. <laughs> not be- speaking from personal experience or anything. No, of are you going to tell your glorious poop story as a part of this? Oh, I definitely could. Yeah, <laughs> more to come. The happiest poop you've Dear ever had. Listener. <laughs> um, but How's your body? My body. Well, I've I've just been introduced to the environment in which we were discussing our bodies and, and <laughs> welcome uh, and the uh, candor with which they're being discussed. I have to admit, I did feel a little bit differently about body talk this time, having a, <laughs> a cisgender male in the room, but it didn't take very long to get over. That's good. <laughs> well, hopefully, I maybe I should have gone first so that we could have torn down some of these uh, barriers, feelings of, of unusualness, um, but my body's good. I, uh, as we'll talk about probably a little bit more when I, we talk about my topic, I broke my hip. Uh, almost a year ago, and today was the first day that I went out and rode my mountain bike again after Yay! breaking it, so that felt really good, um, Yay! and felt like a strong individual, and that was very, very nice, because I had a lot of feelings that I um, couldn't do those sorts of things again, um, and so that was really cool, but uh, also over the last week, I had something called a sty in my eye. Which is basically like when you get a zit around a hair follicle um, for your eyelash. And um, be that as gross as it might be, uh, what's even grosser is popping a zit <laughs> that is on your lower eyelid <laughs> and it pops into your eye socket. Oh no, you didn't tell me about this. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it got to the point where it was pretty gross and noticeable and you even said that it looked like I had a bruise underneath my eye yeah you look like you had a little bit of a black eye yeah so I thought I took matters into my own hands and uh (laughs) me and me and a q-tip and uh (laughs) some some interesting angles in the mirror uh were able to more or less deal with it but I was kind of expecting it to pop up the eyelash kind of hole and it didn't just went like through like, the bottom of my eyelid into my eye socket. Oh, so could you like feel it not, juicing around in not there? Not really, but I did have to clean up um, sty sty juice Ooh. from inside of my eye socket. Whoa! So, did pl- you actually pl- clean it out, or did you just kind of like swallow it with your eye? No, I, I <laughs> rinsed it. Your eye swallowing something really freaks me out. Well, it, like sometimes you get something in your eye and you can't get it off your eyelid, and the only thing to do is sort of like just like pull out your lower eyelid and just like shove it down as far as it'll go, and then your eye just swallows it. <laughs> well, not a technique I've used. <laughs> I get stuff in my eyes all the time. You'd think with like big ass glasses like I have that I wouldn't get shit in my eyes very often but it happens all the time and yeah eye swallowing trick I definitely have to use on a regular basis got hungry hungry eyes <laughs> hungry <laughs> eyes I don't know where eyes. it goes it probably just like pops out later who knows yeah it's in your your uh orbital nerve and just yeah, there's just like all kinds of habits. Collection back there of eye garbage. <laughs> I had these eye drops once that I had to take um, that made you have you like could taste the eye drops. So Whoa. there's definitely like a duct system that's not unconnected to like the back of your throat. Yeah, is that like well, it's a mucous membrane. Can't mm-hmm. you taste 
you can taste anything, I think, that touches a mucous membrane. Yeah. I don't know how scientifically that works, but it's the same thing. Like, if you put a clove of garlic in your vagina, which is not a weird thing, by the way. That's a thing that you can do to help um, treat and reduce symptoms of yeast infections, um, along with a bunch of other things. It's just, it's a garlic vaginal suppository, I guess um, you Many call it. people encourage you to put, like, a cheesecloth or something over it. If you oh, no. I go for full strength, full vagina. strength garlic. I will slice the clove in half. <laughs> I will make little cuts in it. Um, it's, it actually, like, really relieves, um, some of the burning sensation. When you have a full-blown yeast infection, mm-hmm. it will burn if you aren't already inflamed, but um, it has a calming effect if you are. So, but when, the, the point is, when you put a clove of garlic in your vagina, you can taste garlic in your mouth. That is so cool. Isn't it? It's really weird. That doesn't happen with semen, though. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought about that. <laughs> Thank God it doesn't happen with, you know, like, with a condom. Like, thank God you don't get that, like, rubbery taste in your mouth when you're (laughs) (laughs) Certainly something I I worry about every time I have a condom in my vagina. (laughs) Men can have vaginas. Yeah. That's true. Um, I'm I'm not speaking for on behalf of men. I'm speaking on behalf of myself. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess, like, you probably, does your colon also count as a mucous membrane? Because you don't generally taste what's in there as far as... Do you want me to put metallic eye drops in your colon? That'd be a good test. (laughs) It'd be like a baby enema. There's certainly a a large subset of people in the the south and like Tennessee could tell you if they can taste like natty ice. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when you have like, uh, what are they, butt shots? Butt chugging. Uh, Butt chugging? Yeah. We need to get someone on the show who's butt chugged. Or we could... And is willing to talk about it. We <laughs> could have our first because... reality episode. There you go. I have a feeling that at least one of my uncles has been chugged before. I think I know which one. <laughs> so do I. We do live in a college town, so it probably wouldn't be that hard to find somebody. Yeah. We just have to um, pay them in Natty Ice or something. Bud Light. I don't know what the best butt chugging beverage is. Is it still called a beverage if you drink it with your butt? Yeah. I don't know. That's not like limited to your mouth. Is coffee still coffee when you have a coffee enema? Yeah, well, is a hot yeah. dog yeah, a sandwich? But is it a be- oh. <laughs> um, is po- is a pop tart ravioli? <laughs> talk let's have some more oh we're talk about all of our subjects yeah at this point okay so i i kind of hinted at um the subject that i'm going to talk about but it sort of relates to um last year i crashed when i was mountain biking and i had an acetabular fracture which essentially is the the socket part of your ball and socket joint in your hip wait so, do they call it acetabular on purpose uh no. <laughs> no. We Stop should it. probably Stop it with your silliness. <laughs> we should probably serious. point out that Tim actually has an academic background in body stuff. <laughs> so he knows how to pronounce things and what things mean and we don't. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's been a long time since I've actually did anything with my uh, anatomy 
studies and I did get a C plus in anatomy. So um, <laughs> don't expect a whole lot. Really. No, you just study computer bodies. Computer bods. Yep. It's all bleeps <laughs> and bloops. <laughs> Ones and zeros. <laughs> That's what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt your story. No, we interrupt fine. a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's totally cool. Um, but yeah, so I broke my, my hip and more importantly, like the joint part on my hip. And the, the way I did that was I fell off a cliff when I was mountain biking and my femur shot up into my hip, um, which is what kind of did, did the breaking. Just like kind of acted like a, a nail on the, or something. I don't know. Mortar and pestle. Yeah, it wasn't so much grinding. I don't know what you would call it. It done broke my dang hip. So, <laughs> but after I got it all screwed together and after surgery and stuff. Uh, but one of the things that can happen in that situation is if the femurs sort of smooshed up into your hip long enough, uh, it can cut, restrict the supply of oxygen through the blood vessels to your femur and down the line you can have uh, what's called bone necrosis or osteonecrosis uh, the bone itself st- starts dying and <laughs> i'm not at all nervous about that talking about it right now yeah because didn't they tell you like well we'll see you in uh nine months to two years or something and and see if you're dying from the inside yeah basically so what my orthopedic surgeon told me um, after I'd gone up, gone there for a couple of follow-up visits, so everything looks great. And I said, cool, when can you kind of give me the all clear? I went, well, 18 months after your injury. And the reason that they say that is they had a girl who had kind of a similar injury, but she actually hurt her femur. So it's kind of, it's not the exact same apples to apples sort of thing, but everything was great and hunky-dory and just healing up really well. And all of a sudden, 18 months after her injury, she had some osteonecrosis. Her femur started dying, Ugh. and they had to deal with that. How can is... it happen? Is it like the the because your scar tissue is still building in that time period that 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 cuts off the oxygen? Or that's no, a good question. Um, it's really in the case of uh, there's a bunch of different causes that that can make osteonecrosis happen, um, but. In the case of an acute injury like a fracture, uh, the period of time where you don't have oxygen supplied to your bone could be, you know, hours or days and not really all that long. And that can manifest itself with this dying off of cell tissue many months down the line, largely because bones are, are not um, particularly, they don't get a lot of oxygen from the bloodstream quickly. And because of how bones um, structure themselves and how how they're built and and maintained it's a pretty different process versus like how the other cells in your body are you know they die off and they're recreated and and that sort of thing Um, there's specialized cells within bones that create bone tissue and um, also eat effectively (laughs) Uh, bone (laughs) bone tissue that's not being used yeah zombie bones (laughs) Yeah, um, it's this really interesting thing. And I've always thought bones are really interesting organs and don't really consider them organs in your body in the same way you do with like your liver and everything. But they do all this other work. They create all of the blood cells in your body. um, And the really interesting thing is that they're very fluid. They're, They're not like these big sticks inside of you that just support forces going through you. They're 
the outside of them is obviously like real firm and, and strong, but the inside is this spongy, webby tissue uh, that re constantly restructures itself according to the forces that are placed on the bone. Whoa. Yeah. It's, is that marrow? It's not, that's not the marrow. It's, it's still just bone tissue. It's very, it's, you know, made of calcium and is hard. Mm. Um, but if you were to like crack open a bone from a dead animal or something like that, you would see this like web-like uh, lattice inside of the bone. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially because if you had just a solid bone, it'd be super heavy and it would yeah. kind of stink. Bones can restructure themselves with these, these two specialized cells to just have bone where they need it based on the force. Well, but, well I've definitely uh, seen that since I'm a creepy person that collects bones. And <laughs> when I've gotten ones that are broken, then yeah, it almost it's almost like a like a sponge mm -hmm. or something like exactly. on the inside. Yeah. And that's all because of the, the work of those specialized cells. And so what happens when you, there, you don't have this uh, oxygen supply, even just for a little while is that process just gets disrupted and you don't have these specialized cells uh, getting all the energy that they need from your body. And when it comes time to kill off, and eat up and replace a dying bone cell, it just skips it and kind of loses the task. Um. And slowly, this death of the bone tissue inside of the bone permeates, usually from like an edge of the bone or near the fracture site, um, down. And you have bone that ain't bone no more. It becomes a spongy, uh, unsupportive mess. Mm. And yeah, it can be a real hassle for sure. How, what do they do to deal with it? There's a couple couple things that they can do, and it depends on the cause, because uh, fractures are just one cause that can uh, create this osteonecrosis. People on cancer medications and uh, people with otherwise just poor blood supplies if they have blockages in these veins and arteries that supply bones with oxygen can get the same thing happening. Uh, but in the case of where it's a fracture, a lot of times what they'll do is do a bone graft. So they'll cut bone off of a good bone, like your fibula or something, your shin bone, and then put it where it needs to go. Mm. And that can, um, because that, that bone still has these good, healthy osteoclasts and osteoblasts. The osteoblast? Osteoblast. They osteoblast blow... me into <laughs> your bones. Yeah, osteoblasts blast away all the... <laughs> <laughs> the dead and uh, unimportant bone tissue. Whoa. And osteoclasts make more. Uh, osteoblasts. Is that something that they can only use your bone for? Or can they do, like, mm. bone transplants? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And, and one of the cool techniques that they actually use with cadaver bone um, in replacing damaged or dying bone is it's almost not like they would do in a normal bone graft where they use their own, your own bone. They take the bone out and they radiate it or sterilize it somehow so it's basically devoid of any uh dna markers that Whoa. can tell you that it's somebody else Whoa. but it's still the right kind of cellular tissue can't they Wait. i've seen that they can do that with like organs now too where they like suck everything out of it and you just have this like ghost organ mm. it's so cool yeah Wait, so, so isn't that kind of ironic if your bone's dying and then they give you the bone of a dead person? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a real kick in the pants to be told that your 
bones inside of your living body suck way more than the bones inside of a dead guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's that's true for like any organ that you may need a replacement yeah. for, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. We can't all be great at everything. Yeah. <laughs> put those put those organ donor things on your licenses, people. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you might know. be able to donate your bones. You never know where your or bones. your boner. Yeah. I don't thing. know. Can't you really? Yeah. They did a successful <laughs> boner transplant recently. It took, we were researching it. It, it took like some massive number of hours because there are so many little blood vessels that they have to reconnect. Is that the scientific term? Is boner, boner transplant? transplant? Uh, pretty positive it is. Yeah. yeah. I, can, I can verify that from my anatomical studies boner transplant and bone transplants yes is it like a, a both thing both successful both largely uh emasculating especially when your dead penis is worse than the penis on a dead guy <laughs> i don't think it was a dead penis i think it was a a, a missing penis mm. is it he, like he, a he reverse a... lorena bobbitt uh, yes i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, My personal was, hero, Lorena Bobbin. It was an army vet who had, had that area mm. blown Aww. away by an IED. ID. So, yeah. Oh, that's really sad. Well, but he has a new dick now, so life's <laughs> probably great. It worked out for uh, Mr. Bobbitt. <laughs> he was a porn star afterwards. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is uh, There might be some, some cachet in being the first successful recipient of a boner i mean he was a shit bag though she should have finished him off I've i mean that. it is a miracle boner right right <laughs> uh, i can uh, see the headlines now <laughs> can we just backtrack a second and talk about how bone necrosis is the best metal band name that could ever be invented hey google is there a band named Bone Necrosis? Well, apparently, I have to unlock my phone. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you have more? Oh well, as horrifying as having one of your femur die from out from under you, uh, another cause of this is with those cancer medications. Uh, I think it's uh, bisphosphonates. They're these uh, drugs that allow. I think it was more blood flow or something to that effect. They help people who are osteoporotic, uh, and but people a lot of times people take little like drug holidays from them weirdly, and if you happen to be on like a drug holiday from your bisphosphonates and you get a dental extraction, you get a tooth pulled, every once in a while, your jaw starts dying, which Whoa. is horrifying, because uh, some of the pictures I saw of people with uh, osteonecrosis of the jaw or ONJ, if you want to get a real uh, quick google image search uh keyword there it's ridiculous google alert <laughs> just giant holes in your mouth with dead oh. bone exposed oh. and the crazy thing is that i looked up the treatments for it it's just like take some antibiotics and wash out your mouth every once in a while and you'll be fine wait really? so it undies yes. well it doesn't undie but it stops dying which is you know better than it all just dissolving but that's that's all it takes it's crazy healing power of the body just washing it off and and getting rid of some of the bacteria oh yeah 
But washing that giant gaping hole in your mouth that's with exposed bone doesn't sound like my idea of a good time. No. (laughs) On a similar note, my dad was telling me this story about how he... I'm totally going to get this wrong, but he he has, like, almost none of his real teeth for, like, one reason or another. And, um... He they did some sort of surgery on his mouth and they like um are gonna put a new tooth in and what they had to do was like take some sort of like cadaver bone paste and like put it in his like missing tooth spot and so they were they like filled his like thing his hole in his mouth with this tooth paste. paste. <laughs> Um, and then they're gonna like let it sit and then put in his new tooth and they told him that it was gonna like like that bone fragments could start to like come out and so um his gum like healed over it and then he said that like this little piece of dead person bone still like came out of his like like it just his you know how your skin can just like get rid of something Mm -hmm. and so it like dispelled is that the right word rejected rejected this like little piece of dead person bone and he accidentally (laughs) swallowed it yes (laughs) (laughs) oh i love it yeah so you you brought up an important point which is that uh, um, tissue that is affected by necrosis does not come back to life. We don't have zombie tissue, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. So if you get necrosis on, like, a a tiny part of your your skin or maybe, like, maybe a tiny part of your bone, I don't know if it works this way with bone – and you are able to stop it and remove the infected tissue, if it's small enough, you might um, heal back or, like, grow skin back into that area as scar tissue. But for the most part, like, that skin is gone. And so, like, part of how they treat necrosis is you have to remove the affected tissue or occasionally amputate it. And Mm -hmm. um, they also usually treat people with antibiotics or in the case of like the um, jaw infection you were talking about, you can just regularly clean it and that'll stop the infection as well. But you, they don't come back. So. Yeah. I think it's an interesting thing because you're saying infection and it's not quite like an infection. It's like there's a part of you that's not alive anymore. Mm-hmm. There's a dead chunk of you. And that's the creepy part with necrosis. It's, mm-hmm. it's not an, an it's isis, you know. Uh, intestinitis where you have inflammation it's an osis you got the the death (laughs) somehow thought you were talking about terrorism for a second well sure (laughs) you're like it's isis in your body (laughs) yeah i mean it's a it's an apt (laughs) name because that does generally refer to like external factors that come in and wreak havoc on your body it is sort of like body terrorism (laughs) yeah exactly also a sick metal band (laughs) Uh, don't call your metal band ISIS. Don't no, do it. no, not ISIS. <laughs> Body terrorism. Um, so I looked into a bunch of other kinds of necrosis that you can get. Basically, the difference between necrosis and the regular um, natural cycle of your tissue cells is that um, your body like plans for the natural death of tissues. 
And as your cell proteins break down, your body releases enzymes at a planned rate to sort of consume and dispose of those dead cells. So when something happens um, outside of that plan, your body doesn't always uh, handle it in the correct way and it can send too many enzymes to break things down and it can't remove some of the dying cells fast enough and that's why you end up with a lot of necrotic infections that can spread really rapidly because your body isn't able to to respond properly. So most necrosis is the result of noxious stimuli, like external stimuli, which can be bacteria or viruses or fungal infections or even parasites. Um, And the other causes of it are oxygen deprivation or hypoxia, which it looks or sounds like it's what causes bone necrosis. Yeah, Um, And you can also get necrosis from extreme environments like if you're exposed to a lot of heat or radiation Mm. and then those causes can result in six types of necrosis Mm. Um, and those are i guess that sort of like describes how it presents so you can have coagulative necrosis which is the most common one and that's generally what comes from hypoxia you can have liquefactive or slimy necrosis. What? Yeah, which <laughs> is generally what's associated with um, uh, necrotic infections. Like if you think of gangrene, um, mm-hmm. that's usually liquefactive. You can have, I may be pronouncing this wrong, you can have caseous necrosis, which is actually necrosis that is kind of encased or granular and... Like we talked about in the last episode, how people always compare diarrhea to whatever kind of food it looks like. (laughs) They definitely do that with necrosis, too, because they call this caseous necrosis cheesy looking. I just saw that. Yeah. No, 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 no. And the liquefactive necrosis they refer to as creamy looking. (laughs) Why do they do this to us? I was hoping they were going to call it like pudding. or. (laughs) It does sound a little custardy. Pudding. When your foot turns to pudding, you got <laughs> liquefactive <laughs> necrosis. Um, you got dead leg. <laughs> and there's three more kinds. There's fat necrosis, which isn't so much a separate thing, but it's it's um it's a different clinical response when you get necrosis to fat tissue. Um, it uh, it tends to have different like byproducts and stuff of the the cell proteins i feel Um, like plastic surgery places are just gonna start like figuring out how to give people fat necrosis well that's what that's what freezing fat is that what cool sculpting is yeah basically it's controlled uh fat necrosis i think so then your body like does actually like if it's controlled like it's done at a rate that your body can dispose of that tissue i think that's the idea yeah Yeah. you're basically getting frostbite to that's yeah. how they discovered it. Yeah. Like, somebody has had eating disorders and done a lot of research on uh, cool huh. sculpting and the like. And uh, apparently it was, like, based in some science of, like, fancy ladies who went out and rode their horses in the cold all the time oh. and were, like, uh, way thinner than everybody else. And some scientist was like, why is that? Oh, they're freezing their fat off. Ooh. 
I had a coworker who did that. Cool sculpting? Yeah, I tried to talk to them about it a little bit, but she and I definitely have different um, ideas of 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 beauty standards and um and it sounded like it it really hurt and oh i bet i i feel like they advertise it as just like going to the spa it's gonna yeah. be a relaxing experience but apparently it's incredibly painful and then your whole abdomen is bruised for uh-huh. weeks afterwards i don't know why you would put yourself through that because you hate yourself <laughs> Or you feel like you ha- you feel like you have to probably. Yeah. Um, it does have cool right in the name. <laughs> it does have cool in it's the name. It's just like smoking. <laughs> it's just like taking antidepressants, which is what helped me. That's what's cool, kids. <laughs> um, there's two more Dark types humor. of necrosis. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's gangrenous necrosis, which has its own clinical classification, hmm. and there's fibrinoid necrosis, um, which is when you have um, like vascular damage to a part of your body. Which I don't know enough uh, medical science to know the difference between that and hypoxia related coagulative necrosis, but. Hmm. Wow, you sounded really smart when you said that. I just put a bunch of big words next to each other. (laughs) I don't know what all of them mean. (laughs) And one other thing, which I think is actually a type of that fibrinoid necrosis, is called tumor necrosis that you can get in really fast-moving forms of cancer, like certain types of breast cancers, where the cancer is actually spreading so quickly that it can't... um, develop a blood supply at a fast enough rate to keep up with itself so it kind of like it moves and the older parts of the cancer die off as the new ones are created and that doesn't mean it does any less damage these types of cancer generally do um more damage as they affect the surrounding tissue but um it almost sounds like it's tunneling or something yeah like boring through you (laughs) seriously yeah like big bertha it's an interesting combination because cancer is all about, you know, things becoming alive too quickly. And necrosis is all about things becoming dead <laughs> uncontrollably. <laughs> Do you have a great intersection there? Yeah. Um, so I can talk a little bit more about gangrene. There are two major types of gangrene. There's wet and dry gangrene. Which one smells like almonds? What? What? I didn't think about that. <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah, gangrene smells like almonds, but I, I would assume it's, it's probably the wet, one. wet. Yeah. <laughs> when in doubt, it's wet gangrene. <laughs> That's what I always say. <laughs> um. So dry gangrene is is caused by hypoxia. It's caused by a lack of oxygen supply, um. And so the affected tissue actually just kind of like dries up and falls off. Oh. <sighs> Can imagining this happening to like fingers or toes or like dicks or something? <laughs> um, um, it generally starts to turn like blue and then black and can be kind of cold and numb. And usually there's not an infection present with this kind of gangrene, but it can get infected. And infected gangrene is usually what wet gangrene is. And it's called wet because there's lots of pus. Um, and it can spread really quickly. And instead of turning blue to black, it turns like red 
to brown to black, and the red from the inflammation around the infection. Um, and this is commonly caused by burns or other kinds of rapid trauma that can cut off your blood supply or blood supply really quickly. Um, you know, what's kind of upsetting is that it doesn't turn green. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> You'd think. I mean, but I know what? that's not how it's spelled, but. <laughs> Well, that was the tissue. I'm wondering uh, what color the pus. Yeah. Oh, maybe the pus There's is green. There's probably some green there. Yeah. <laughs> just you wait. Don't forget. You'll get some green Please yet. don't forget about the pus. <laughs> <laughs> I really just, I think as a child, thought that it was like, your body is gaining green. <laughs> <laughs> so you can have gangrene externally, like with your hands and your feet and your legs and stuff. Um, you can also get it internally. Mm-mm. Um Mm -mm. Mm -mm. (laughs) and and that generally happens to body parts like your appendix that um can get infected sort of of their own volition Mm. um you can also have what's called gas gangrene which is when internal gangrene creates a, a a gas probably as your tissue is dying and fermenting inside of you and your skin will start to turn like a a pale grayish yellow and actually make a crackling noise as you push on it because of the gas underneath um this generally results in death within 48 hours though so you gotta savor that cracking noise while it lasts (laughs) (laughs) sorry Um, so probably not funny if that's what's no. happening to you. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, well, you don't have long enough. Hey, to... check this out, crackle, crackle. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and they're gone. Um, so if gangrene gets into your blood, you're kind of a goner. It causes uh, blood poisoning or a septic shock. Um, but before that happens, if you can treat it, they generally try to treat the underlying cause of it if there is one. For example, like if your appendix is infected or something, like they remove that as a part of removing any infected tissue. They may have to amputate, but they also have tried other things. Like they do hyperbaric oxygen therapy where they put you in a hyperbaric chamber to sort of um, like flood your blood in your tissue with extra oxygen. It's like Mm. a high pressure um, oxygen chamber. So it like pushes it into you. And they can also do maggot therapy. Nope. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Where they put um, lab-grown sterile fly larvae into your wound, and the maggots will eat all the dead tissue but not the live tissue. They're really smart. And they also excrete um, some kind of hormonal chemical or something that also fights infection. So it's actually pretty cool. You would the, so have to put me out for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the bummer thing is that uh, a stipulation of all maggot treatment is that there's a video camera on the maggots and a monitor that you have to watch the whole time. No. Yeah. Really? No. Not oh. really. Because <laughs> you want to, you know, if a maggot swiggles on out of your wound, you want to be able to just pet, pet that little puppy right back in there. <laughs> Yeah. I can't even see. I can't even look at a maggot. I mean, no, I I genuinely think it would be like a rad sort of treatment to undergo if I was in that scenario, but I would be vomiting the whole time probably. That time that I uh put a bird in my freezer and then when I took it out and there were dead frozen maggots 
um, in its eye sockets. Um, <laughs> I was itchy for like two weeks. <laughs> Uh, and they weren't even alive and somehow i'm not freaked out by putting a dead bird into my freezer that i was planning on taxidermying i don't think that's the right word for that taxidermying taxidermizing (laughs) um but i never did because it was filled with maggots because uh if it doesn't freeze fast enough that can yeah, so those flies must, like, lay their eggs on it, like, immediately. Or it's inside. Oh! And the inside, like, they eat something, and it yeah. has a um, fly larva on it. Whoa. And then because it's freezing from the outside, then um, its body inside is still keeping it warm long enough for it to... Percolate. Yeah. Whoa. I didn't know that. Yep. Um, Which cool. is why you shouldn't probably take dead birds that fly into your window and just do whatever you want with them <laughs> unless you have like a flash freezing system yeah or something. Mm-hmm. um i also wanted to talk about necrotizing fasciitis which is also commonly known as flesh eating bacteria mm. and this isn't actually a skin infection it's an infection of your um of your fascia which is the like soft connective tissue like mm. not like under your skin or between your organs and your muscles and stuff mm-hmm. oh that's what's fucked up in my feet yeah yeah in a lot of people's feet yeah um so it's a soft tissue infection and then the um the skin infection skin necrosis is a secondary effect of that but it spreads by the or the the infection spreads through the soft tissue Um, which is why it can spread really deep into your body and is really dangerous. So what we commonly know as flesh-eating bacteria, the really fast kind that gets in the news when it happens, is a type of streptococcus bacteria. It's the same kind as when you get strep throat. Mm. Um, But there are slower types of flesh-eating bacteria that include staph infections and E. coli, which I didn't know about when we talked about that on our last episode. Isn't it related to MRSA in some way? Well, MRSA is a type of staph infection. Mm -hmm. It's methicillin-resistant staphylococcus. Staphylococcus aureus? Staphylococcus. Yeah, exactly. Um, So that's specific to staph, but there are are probably antibiotic-resistant forms of most bacteria at this point. Coming to an epidemic near you. Yeah, no, I saw a thing about how once uh, all of the bacteria figures its shit out, uh, we're fucked. You know what it might be with the, the, the tipping bacteria might be? Gonorrhea. That is, that is like the, the pinnacle right now of antibiotic resistance wow. is gonorrhea. Well, good thing I'm married because I had a gynecologist that told me it's the best way to prevent STDs. Being married. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that's 100% correct. Totally effective. Nobody married has ever gotten an STD. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Also, proper sex education is really important, and do not let us be that for your children. Wait, don't let us be that? No, we can totally give children sex education. I edited a book on puberty. What? (laughs) Um, Speaking of (laughs) puberty... There's a type of flesh-eating bacteria called Fournier gangrene, Mm. which is local to the scrotum and perineal area. It can affect both men and women, but usually men. 
And it generally affects really old people who have uh, much more fragile skin. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of times after they have surgeries um, to correct things like um, like, uh, fistulas or prolapses and stuff. Um, But it did affect this otherwise healthy 29-year-old because he had an obsessive masturbation problem. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I guess that's not puberty, but... Probably for some males, puberty lasts until 29. Or forever. Yeah. <laughs> I was really hoping that the the root of your fornia uh, gangrene was from fornicating and just, like, <laughs> fucked to death, basically. Well, it sounds like he <laughs> fucked himself to death. There you go. I don't know if he died. He might have lost his dick, though. <laughs> lost his hole downstairs. He's, <laughs> and he's then just... got a new dead guy's dick. This could all be coming full circle right here. Penile cadaver transplant. Cadaver penile transplant? Is that a thing? I mean, I guess if you get a penis transplant, it probably comes from a dead person. Or or a very surprised person. (laughs) (laughs) Some poor guy in Colombia. (laughs) Why Colombia? A really bad day. I don't know. I was trying to think of a dangerous country. That's probably really racist. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, necrotizing fasciitis uh, is like super cruel and can enter through like the tiniest skin puncture, like a little needle prick, oh. or even like a rash. What? It can get in through a rash, so you have to be really careful. Um, and it generally feels like any other infection before you start to see necrosis. Like you kind of feel like you have the flu. And people who are more susceptible to it are kind of the usual crowd that's more susceptible to things. Uh, Also, people who have diabetes or chronic lung and heart conditions, Um, people who use steroids, uh, people who have skin lesions from other conditions, and people who abuse alcohol and injection drugs. But I think also, uh, not necessarily drug abusers, but any kind of injection drug user, like insulin users and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can treat some of these infections with antibiotics, um, although some of them move really quickly and antibiotics kind of stop being effective in the skin that is in the process of dying um, because it doesn't have the blood flow into it that normal skin does. So sometimes they're not super effective. Um, Mostly they just have to remove or amputate the infected tissue And with bacteria like the streptococcus bacteria that is the um, traditional flesh-eating bacteria, um, it has a 20 to 80% mortality rate, like, um, depending on how quickly it starts to be treated. And so when you uh, have an open wound, this is why they tell you to, like, not go in hot tubs or pools Mm. or things like that because those are really quick ways to spread infection into these tiny little um like skin prick areas Mm. so i remember when you had your hip thing and they gave you that bonkers mechanical band-aid situation what that like sucked all this shit out of you and mechanical band-aid this like percolator sound the whole time (laughs) yeah i had two um drainage tubes in my scar which is pretty big um but for i think it was for a week mm-hmm. or so um i had I carried around this little maybe like ipad one or ipod ones <laughs> jennifer's generation size maybe like twice that big size thing and it basically was just like a little pump 
that was sucking on these tubes coming out of my Whoa. my body the whole time. And really what it was doing is I had this band-aid that was just kind of absorbed like a big, you know, maxi pad kind of thing over my leg. Uh, and the tubes ran into that and it was all airtight. So it was sucking all the juice out of my scar and into the maxi pad. Uh, but if, it, if anything built up, it could suck them up the tubes, essentially. It kept me from uh, getting any, any creepy stuff strapped to caucus and, and flush eaty <laughs> baby boys uh, <laughs> eating my what for <laughs> yeah. i remember it was more because the tubes were clear and i remember it being far more yellow than i thought it would because you could tell there was like blood but it was also very pussy looking hmm. were you not looking at it as much i was i don't i don't remember it actually uh consuming that much fluid from me but uh maybe yeah it was maybe running I was... it through the like percolator thing and it was like <laughs> yeah i mean it, it might have been maybe that was when i was in the hospital <laughs> yeah yeah in that case i was on a lot of fentanyl <laughs> or fentanyl and uh other fun things so those days just flew by let me tell you uh fentanyl is not fun don't do fentanyl no, no i mean yeah if if you happen to be in a position where you're uh, on fentanyl. Make sure that it's because you just underwent a major surgery and uh, somebody gave you permission to not think about the fact that you have a uh, cut going all the way down to your bones oh. <laughs> <laughs> for just for just a little while. Yeah. Um, I was told to be very thankful for the mechanical uh, band-aid or else... They were like, the aftercare would probably be your responsibility to be changing <laughs> his Band-Aid every two hours. And yeah. I was like, thank you, science. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was pretty pretty cool, for sure, in its yeah. own way. Yeah, actually, that is one thing that I didn't write down. But um, in addition to not going into pools and hot tubs and stuff, um, changing your bandages and cleaning your wounds is really important in preventing things like flesh-eating bacteria and skin necrosis. So. Yeah. And apparently magic mechanical band-aids are yeah. now part of that. Mm -hmm. I only got a tiny bit of skin necrosis. You did? did? I got a tiny bit, yeah. I could see around the scar little baby bits that were dying and turned black. Um, but it all healed up. Oh. Yeah. So it wasn't like your stitches or anything? No, I mean, I had... A, so basically from kind of like where my crotch... And <laughs> uh, if you draw a line out to, to the you know lateral aspect of my leg, and then you from that point you draw a line going you know north towards my head, get to the top of my butt cheek and wrap it around kind of to almost to my butt crack, and a big cut there all the way down to my hip bone. So it cut through a bunch of nerves and um, dissected muscle and all this stuff. So basically, the amount of oxygen that was getting to the skin right around that scar was really impeded. So, yeah, some of it died, but then after it was after there was that necrosis, the thing that the body is supposed to do, which is have macrophages, these immune cells, come and eat that dead tissue, that worked, what? and uh, then the scar formed, and then I'm all fine. Yeah. 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 Bodies are amazing. Macrophages are cool. So it's not an enzyme; it's like an actual. Little it's an actual thing? cell that that um, basically 
you really, I mean, the macro is big and phage is to eat. And what it does is it wraps itself around uh, either foreign bodies or dead tissue and just denatures it inside of itself. So it just becomes like just, you know, chemicals and, and whatnot. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, they're super cool. And that's also like when you have people who reject transplants and stuff like that, it's because macrophages go, hey, I'm supposed to eat you. <laughs> Those are the mm. cells responsible for that kind of thing. Huh. Yeah. So when you reject the dick transplant. Yeah. It's be, it's literally being eaten by your body. Is it? So when your body rejects a transplant, I thought that that was more like the same thing it does when it rejects a piercing. Where it, like, shoves it away hmm. or shoves it out. No, but it's I not. if you get an organ like, transplant, it can, like... Your body tries to shut shit it? down. Whoa. I don't know. I'm really going off of episodes of Grey's Anatomy, so that <laughs> might not be totally accurate. Yeah. Most of my medical knowledge comes from Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I mean, the immune response is, like, it's pretty wild. It's, it's based off of a sort of a series of events that marks a cell or a body as foreign, which is like, you know, when you get blood transfusions that aren't your type and stuff like that, that's those cells get marked as foreign. Um, and then, yeah, white blood cells can come in. And their whole job is like, if you have something that is a pathogen, uh, creating antibodies that can bind to those cells. And when the antibodies bind to those cells, it's like, that's when those macrophages, those like, cell eaters come in and get rid of them but the whole point is just to like hey hey uh, street sweeper come come on in here and get rid of this thing but there's just a lot of things that have to take place before um cells are marked as like kill this guy <laughs> yeah and yeah just a lot of levels in the immune system that do that huh. jessica had some cool bone stuff to talk about yeah since we're not going in the order i thought that we were going to go in <laughs> i was going to be like and speaking of bones, I'm going to talk about what happens to your bones after you bone. Woo! This, I guess, is appropriate because um, probably in the next year or two, our guest will be... Can I make a boning joke again? <laughs> in poor taste. <laughs> you don't have to be We'll so... be knocking up my bones. Um, Jesus so... Christ. <laughs> um... We so, promise that uh, if you do want to be a guest on our show, we probably won't make jokes about you boning us. Uh, <laughs> unless you have boned one of us. Well, well, that there's a lot of men in this town that I've boned, so uh, don't let that stop you from being on our podcast is what I'm saying. I would just suggest that you get that offer in writing before you appear. <laughs> so doing research for this made me not want to not want to get pregnant so much uh because really weird things happen to your body when you have a human parasite in your gut mm. uh, <laughs> but i also think that uh pregnancy is kind of cool because it's probably one of the most metal things uh, a human body can do in my opinion and i don't really understand why people are like think it's such a beautiful thing because I think it's really just a hardcore badass thing that people with uteruses do. I mean, I think it can be both, right? Yeah, but it's not fluffy. I feel like there's nothing mm. about pregnancy that's, like, dainty. Like, 
No. It's not very effeminate. And you're just shoving this eight to, or like six to eight, I don't know how big babies are, six to eight pound thing out oh, of your... Oh, no. Like... Oh, they bigger oh, than that? Six to 12? Ew. They, I mean, you can have babies that are like 23 pounds or something. What? I yeah. Was, I was only four and a half, but I was from my mother's womb untimely ripped. <laughs> you were also a twin. Twins are usually yeah. smaller. I don't know how big I was. Yeah. I was. I'm sure I was. What's the word? Cherubic. Like well, Billy when Corgan? you put it like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, fuck Billy Corgan. Can we add him to our list of fuck you people with Jenny McCarthy and I want to say Matt Damon, but that's not who it was that I ripped on the other episode. What's Wahlberger? Yeah. Matt oh, Wahlberg. fuck Casey Affleck too. <laughs> but yeah. Fuck Billy Corgan, fuck Jenny McCarthy, and fuck Wahlberger. Because apparently Billy Corgan goes on, like, Mark Alex Mark. Jones and talks about how activists are dangerous. And, like, he is also super transphobic and oh, yeah. has, like... Well, Alex Jones is just the worst. Well, yeah, but, like, apparently Billy Corgan's gotten, like, in Facebook fights with, like, trans women and, like, called them slurs. Hmm. He's a piece of shit. Um, yeah, so... Kill your idols. Fuck Billy Corgan. And rant. Uh, so when you're pregnant, uh, <laughs> you release a hormone with the best name, which is just called relaxin. Maxin and relaxin. And relaxin. <laughs> just I-N, not I-N-G. Relaxin, like it's the 90s. And everything <laughs> has an apostrophe after it. So you release this hormone called relaxin, and it does exactly what it sounds like. Which is relax shit in your body. Bjorn, you're making so much noise. Like your colon? Yeah, probably. Uh, but it's not the same thing that relaxes, uh, that happens like when you're uh, on your period. It's not the same hormone. Okay. But I don't remember what that one is anymore because I can't remember what we did a couple episodes ago. Progesterone? No, that's the one that gives you constipation. It's the other one. Mm. So... What it is meant to relax is your pelvis uh, so that your pelvis can be more squishy when you're pushing a creature out of it. Uh, But instead of just making your pelvis relaxed, it makes all of your bones relaxed and a lot of the tissue and shit in between your bones relaxed, which I just learned is why your feet get bigger. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Because your joints are more relaxed. But don't they, like, stay bigger? Yeah. So why do they, they, it's not just like they lose their, like, springiness and spread out, but then, because they stay that way. Yeah, but I think it's because, like, they have to adapt because they're working so hard Mm. while they're relaxed, and so they just sort of, like, morph. This is more about uh, Wolf's Law. Wolf's Law? Yeah, the osteoclasts and osteoblasts for reformatting your bones to best match the uh, forces which are applied oh, to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's going to be so much Bjorn purring on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just going to plug uh, Bjorn and Sophie have an Instagram that the lovely Venice runs <laughs> called uh, Sophie Bjorn to be mild that you should check out. If you like our podcast and the cats that you can hear in the background. Yeah. Yeah, so all that relaxing makes your joints all loosey-goosey. 
and uh, sometimes this is really painful and it's it doesn't feel so good in your hips and can also cause something called symphysis pubis dysfunction which is like your hip is weird or your pelvis is weird yeah your your pubic symphysis is essentially your think of your pelvis as like one big bone but really it has joints mm -hmm. and the pubic symphysis is right kind of in the middle of you on your front and uh you, it's not a place that you want to have your bones moving around in relation to one another, mm -hmm. but you can have it move around in relation to one another. Your pubic symphysis disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Is, are, is the bone pain associated with this similar to what like growing pains are? I don't know. I I think it just because it's looser. It's just not as stable. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Growing pains are usually associated like. When your bones are growing, they actually are really fundamentally different than when they had stopped growing. They have something called the apophyseal disc between the growed, the bone that has grown and the end of the bone. And that's where their length increases, is at this ah. place called the apophyseal disc. And that can cause inflammation and stuff. But yeah. if you're pregnant and your bones are still growing, you have bigger problems. Actually, yeah. So um, one of the things that I read that I wasn't even going to talk about was that if you're a teen mom, that you have a higher risk of osteoporosis when you're pregnant because your bones are still growing and ba the baby is, like, taking the calcium away from you. Yeah. Um, and so you're basically not supposed to be having a baby when you're a teen health-wise because if your body's not done growing, it can actually cause some, some problems for you. Then why are our bodies so dumb? Like, what? I mean, I mean, I don't want to say you're not supposed to do something, I guess. Like, you know, do whatever. But but why don't our bodies wait to start menstruating until after our bones are done growing or something? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I always wondered why we start our periods so early. And I wonder if it's like, or like why we start even ovulating so early in our lives. Well, a lot of it is all the hormones that we ingest through animal products and um like uh, oh did you know katie's vegan <laughs> Sorry. that wasn't gonna be the whole <laughs> sentence thanks for coming up i was going to say the hormones that come from like plastics byproducts and plastic decomposition so like old plastics release um synthetic estrogens and stuff that also fuck with your um hormonal cycles and if you are exposed to a lot of decomposing plastics or even natural substances like rubbers um that can throw you into like totally bonkers hormonal situations and um like jumpstart your puberty faster than it's supposed to yeah i heard that kids are starting to have puberty at like seven and eight or something now because like of all the shit that's in our environment. Yeah. I don't know how true that is, but... Well, there's so many hormones now that are just, like, in our water supply that it's uh, it's really hard to combat that. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, on a lighter note. <laughs> on a lighter note, do your kegels. Uh, that can help. And, and drink only distilled water because everything else saps and impures your precious bodily fluids. <laughs> and use birth control. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, apparently this uh, symphysis pubis dysfunction 
can get so bad that you have to get um, a C-section instead of doing vaginal delivery because it can make it worse if you um, have a baby through your very loose pelvis. Um, although, I don't know, I've talked to like a lot of people, not to say that there's like anything wrong with having a C-section if that's what's right for you, but even people who I've known who had babies in the last decade or so I know that there have been times that like doctors have sort of just like made them have c-sections like whether or not they really wanted to so sometimes when I hear that like oh you should have a c-section for this I'm like should you or is the doctor just doing something that um they're gonna make more money from doing which or, or that's easier for yeah them. Um, yeah it's more timely it's a big big thing in busy busy places that are delivering lots of babies you don't have to wait around and have a bed taken up by somebody when you can just cut their baby out but the problem with c-sections is that it can increase your likelihood of postpartum depression Mm. because the um, hormones that would naturally happen as a result of vaginal birth um, don't have the opportunity to get released Hmm. i don't want to be like one of those people that like shits on other people for getting like having hospital births but I also have heard a lot of horror stories and am sort of skeptical of the medicalization of pregnancy. Um, and we could probably talk, like, devote a whole other episode to things like the husband stitch and um, other atrocities that have been commonplace for um, medical uh, labor. And that makes me very skeptical of the idea of going to a traditional hospital for um, birthing my eventual child. Uh, More on that at some point. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) One thing that your guest will mention as as being a uh, product of a cesarean section is that um, as uh, babies pass through the birth canal, a lot of times their faces get all squished up. And C-section babies end up being real pretty. <laughs> They're cuter. They're cuter <laughs> yeah. for the Instagram photo. They're, at least, <laughs> at least immediately after birth, their faces aren't as smooshed. <laughs> so, you know, one one check one uh, in the pro column for the, <laughs> for a, a very sensitive C-section baby. Apparently, Aww. <laughs> not really. Well, there's nothing wrong with anybody if there was a reason why you need to get a C-section. But like I said, I've also known a lot of people who wish that that had not been the case for them. So, uh, you pulled up a picture on your computer that is horrifying. Yeah, so this is why I'm afraid of pregnancy. Um, so one of the things that can happen from all this relaxing, this maxing and relaxing that pregnant ladies' bodies do... Um, is your abdominal muscles can relax. Um, and as this article uh, puts it, relax the fuck off your body, um, which is what happens when you get diastasis recti, uh, which is like basically your abdominal muscles um, like separating from each other. So you kind of have like two flanks that go down the front of you. And, um, this picture is just like a rib cage with like the muscles in front of it. And the muscles have just like opened up like a purse (laughs) or a vagina. Actually, it kind of looks like a vagina. That's what I thought it was. Um, yeah, vagina with attached to a rib cage is like kind of what it looks like. Is this also what happens when the face hugger bursts out of your body? (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like that 
this happens to a lot of like basically anyone who's had pregnancy this kind of happens in some degree um but like doing like certain kinds of core exercises and stuff can strengthen your um, abdomen. But one of the interesting things I read in one of the articles is that core exercises like crunches don't actually help. It's more like um, exercises where you have to like keep your core engaged that strengthens like both sides, like your back and your abs, um, like kettlebells and squats and things. So this is why um, you were walking funny before. Yes, so you should also, like, work on not tilting your uh, rib cage forward, especially if you're pregnant. Like, you should walk in a way that, like, you're – so I think of it, like, the typical way that actually you see, like, pregnant women walk on TV, like, where they're, like, hand, like hands on their back and they have their stomach all pushed out and they're, like, kind of bent, like – you know, like, in a curve backwards, that's actually, like, really bad for mm. um, your abdominal muscles, and you should try to, like, be more, like, stationary, I guess. Um, you know, like, more instead grounded. Of trying, instead of trying to, like, cantilever your yeah. body weight against your pregnant stomach, you should actually be, like, engaging your core muscles yes. to hold it up. Yes. Oh, that sounds so hard, though. I know. That sounds like you're fucking planking for nine months. Ugh. Yeah. But, I mean, again, that's not to say that there's something, like, wrong or defected about you. If this is something that happens to you, it's super, super common. Um, it does sound like it can be painful or cause other issues. Um, but seems like, from what I've looked at, most of it is just, like, most of the problems people have with it are, like, primarily cosmetic. Um, but it can affect um your like core strength and your ability to do maybe like sports or things after uh pregnancy um or to be super active uh you pulled up a picture of a runner which is funny because i was going to talk about uh how pregnancy affects running so i didn't know you were going to be discussing this uh subject but it immediately rang a bell because there is a woman who at least has been competing in the Olympic trials, and I think she might have been an Olympian, uh, who had this condition after being pregnant and is now famous for, like, proudly showing it off. Uh, it kind of looks like she has a, a hole in her abs. It's, it's sort of a funky, wrinkly thing for, like, a reasonably young, you know, Olympic athlete when you're looking at her abs. But uh, you were just mentioning how it can affect your ability to be active and stable, but um, she's been a big advocate for not letting these sort of pregnancy-related uh, medical maladies affect your quality of life and your ability to, to do things like compete in the Olympics. Uh, yeah. It's, it's super cool. And her name's Stephanie Bruce, and she's, she's awesome. That's really cool. Also, I was reading about how, and I had read about this a while ago, especially when I was running more frequently uh, before I really destroyed my feet, that there was all of these misnomers for a long time about whether or not women could exercise or people who are pregnant could exercise while they were, well, while they were pregnant. And it turns out a lot of that's kind of bullshit and uh, that there have even been, uh, sorry, not sorry, uh, women who competed in the Olympics while pregnant. And I think that that is really fucking cool. 
that people still um, are doing whatever the fuck they want and it doesn't seem to be having some sort of disastrous effect um, on their pregnancy and it just goes back to my theory of pregnancy is um, something really fucking hardcore and it's not about being a delicate little flower and do you know why the marathon wasn't an Olympic event for women until like the 80s because they could get pregnant no, it's because um, the most modern medical science uh, around women running marathons at the time basically said that if a woman were to run 26 miles without stopping, her uterus would fall out. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't there even been evidence that like women are kind of better at long distance running? Well, yeah. So there's there was an interesting thing I, I recently encountered that was basically like, um, as distances get longer, women um, are just as good as men at endurance competitions because you go with like the world record for women in the 100 meter dash versus the world record for men in the 100 meter dash um, and the, or the Olympic record or whatever, and it's not particularly close. And then you go to the 100 mile records, and it's like uh, there was some big badass race uh, in California where there's this really great uh, female athlete that got eighth in it and she had stopped at every aid station along the way to nurse her baby whoa yeah oh my god that's so cool <laughs> it was like she could have won for sure had she not like done this whole thing so yeah it's, uh, it's she sounds thing. like a winner to so, me. sounds like yeah. she extra won yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly um that yeah that's an interesting thing physiologically that um endurance wise there's almost no difference so that's really cool yeah. Um, there's definitely a difference with me. I am not fast uh, <laughs> <laughs> at all. Um, but it turns out, though, that uh, there's been, like, very little, like, research done on, like, legitimately how exercising affects pregnant women. Mm. Um, and it seems like a lot of it is just, like, conjecture on the part of um, – delicate male scientists who um, project all of their inadequacies onto women. (laughs) 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 But there has been uh, some, like, this is just like, I I don't really understand why it's that science worthy, but maybe it is, um, that uh, being pregnant changes your gait when you run. Well, that makes sense because if if you're, if the, the, like, shape of your hips is changing mm-hmm. your center of gravity yeah um so and you the might size of your feet so yeah it's changing sure. all the components right yeah so you uh yeah you your style of running will change usually after you've had a baby does the jelly bones thing make you resistant to injury mm. i have no idea i didn't find anything about that like would it make you into a really sweet like MMA fighter or something. <laughs> I think the ethical quandaries surrounding that <laughs> will prevent us from. Actually, it. I feel like you could totally win an MMA fight because I feel like somebody's not gonna punch a pregnant woman. Yeah. Well, I, don't know I if mean, you've seen MMA fights recently. I've never seen an MMA <laughs> fight. The, the, you know, ethical calculus that's happening in the middle of those doesn't seem to be on a particularly high level. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just let's not have MMA. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Paula Radcliffe um, what, and Kara Goucher are the people that um, competed while pregnant. 
and Paula Radcliffe, uh, you might recognize that name because she is the world record holder for the women's marathon. Mm. And she is only minutes slower than the men's world record in the marathon, which goes to show that, yeah, as endurance becomes a bigger factor in performance, that uh, gap seems to decrease substantially. Is it, and that's just the traditional 26 mile marathon? 26.2. So we're not talking like ultra running or anything. Yeah, and like like I was saying with those, that race was a hundred miles. I was talking about the woman yeah. who was nursing in the middle of it, and it's yeah, seems to converge times. Yeah. So childbirth is hardcore. Oh, speaking of gross bots, though, we're talking about Paula Radcliffe. She's also famous for pulling to the side of the London Marathon and pooping. Yeah. Just like on the side of the road. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And I think she still won. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I don't remember her name, but shout out to the gal that ran the London Marathon free bleeding. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's my favorite story I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much, basically, because I've almost done that myself and wished that uh, there was a camera crew to be like, good job, Jessica, getting your period in the... Middle of a 10-mile run. <laughs> Her name's Kieran Gandhi, and she ran in the 2015 London Marathon. Mm-hmm. Uh, already a super badass, because I think she's, like, the drummer for MIA yeah. or something. Um, but she just woke up and had these, like, super rad fluorescent pink pants <laughs> and got her period and was like, oh, this is going to ruin all my plans. Wait, you know what? Fuck that. I'm not going to let it ruin my plans. <laughs> and I really respect that attitude as well. Mm-hmm. I have not pooped on the side of the road, but there was definitely one time that I went and pooped in a, a porta potty in a construction site in the middle of Brooklyn. Because <laughs> uh, I had that thing that happens sometimes when you're a runner where your body decides to reject everything inside of it. And it, you're just your butt's screaming out poop. I've definitely pooped on the side of the road in a drainage ditch while running. It was an emergency. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> so just it was for fun mine. use. <laughs> mine was definitely an emergency as well. Shaking all that goodness down to the bottom of you, you know. I have oh. not done that much running, but I did poop in somebody's backyard once when I was helping them renovate their house and they didn't have a toilet. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. There, I, since I was not immersed in the running culture that teaches you how to deal with things like that, I bagged it up like dog poop and threw it away. <laughs> <laughs> when you have running shits, there would be no bagging up. Yeah. <laughs> like, You're on the move. <laughs> no, I mean, like, every time I've had serious running shits, it's been too liquidy to, like... <laughs> yeah, it's everywhere. It's pudding. It's everywhere. <laughs> no pudding that pudding in a bag. How do, you, do you wipe? How does that work? Well, in my case, I they there was oh because you were at a porta potty. Yeah, I got lucky. Um, but I often brought uh toilet paper with me in a plastic baggie. Oh, that's really smart. Just in case. Yeah. I don't know if the although there's been a lot of candor on this show, the oh steps spill of, it stuff. Okay, I splashed a little uh, drainage ditch water <laughs> on my butt. <laughs> <laughs> kept going. That's great. Yeah. You just like made a bidet. Out yeah, of... nature's bidet. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh... Made my bidet. Yeah. The fact, the fact that I don't have any of Katie's flesh eating bacteria eating my butthole after that is. Yeah. Uh, you know. A miracle. 
Yeah, I've got those guardian angels watching over me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all about uh, this um, fortifying your immune system. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's what I was doing. It was a, a calculated <laughs> exposure to some pathogens. Uh, well, to end my little bit, if you uh, want to make sure you're uh, standing in the best way to maintain your core strength apparently you stand up against a wall and make sure your ribs are like touching the wall and that should give you a better idea of how straight you're standing oh man my posture is the worst oh i'm gonna be a question mark by the time i'm 40 (laughs) (laughs) it's uh yeah the other thing with that uh is something called anterior pelvic tilt when you're standing Mm. if you can just think of uh if you had a pointer going like straight out from that pubic symphysis again the point right in the middle of your pelvis and pointing at the ground you want it not to point down at the ground but point straight level with the ground so you just mm-hmm. roll your hips yeah back it's like when you do yoga and they tell you to tuck your tailbone yeah exactly that's yeah. the exact same move or your sacrum is that we went to yoga for like a good 6 months and i listened to are you cool yoga instructor? Tell us what to do with our sacrums. When I, I had no idea what the I, sacrum was. Yeah, I still don't think I 100% know what a sacrum is. I'll be perfectly honest. What What is it? It's your it's tailbone? Your, it is your tailbone. It's one of your two tailbones, actually. You have two tailbones? You have two bones that are in your tailbone. Whoa. Your sacrum and your cossacks. Cossacks? Mm-hmm. Is that the one on the end that's like the actual tail? I think the sacrum is the, the pointy bit. The cossacks is um, below your last vertebra and uh, connects that to your sacrum, if I remember correctly. There's only 206 bones, people. You can memorize them all. <laughs> <laughs> New goal. Nope. <laughs> There's a, and you, a fun thing. I don't know if you've noticed this about bodies. You got like half, so you get to double up. Like um. You really only have to know about 103 because there's a lot of bones that are on one side. And then they're on the other side, too. So it's like... Except all your vertebrae. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've got two skulls, so, you know. <laughs> that made it pretty simple. Tell us your other poop story. Another poop story? When you broke your hip. Oh. Yeah, if you so come I on have... our podcast, we're going to make you tell all of your poop stories. There you yeah. go. Welcome so... to our podcast. When was the best time you pooped? Well, this is also a PSA for um, not becoming an opiate addict. Uh, just, you know, if that was something that you're considering doing as like a bucket list or whatever, um, <laughs> or just a fun recreational activity, yeah, you know, we, we, <laughs> just have a we all more, have, you know, star, we all have downtime that we have to occupy somehow. Um, anyway, opiates don't, don't do them. Um, so when I was in the hospital for, you know, getting my hip screwed back together, uh, I was on. Uh, quite a bit of like oxycontin and uh, some other you know heavy duty prescription opiates. Uh, I had my leg in traction for five days, so they had me when they put me in traction and put pins in me and relocated my leg. And, you know, pulled my femur out of my hip, kind of thing. They're loading me up with more opiate painkillers, and uh, the long and short of it is. Your poop don't want to come out when you have a lot of opiates in your system. So they also put me on uh, some pretty 
strong laxatives and that kind of thing, but that didn't help for about five days. <laughs> so I, I was eating my hospital slurry uh, or what little of it I was and all the stuff that, you know, was in me before I, I broke my hip. And I was buying you like four coffees a day. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so just building it all up. And it's like I had no urge to poop the whole time until it was kind of like I made the decision that this probably would be a good thing if I was able to poop before I went into surgery or whatever. So um, let's see if we can get this done. I was like, hey, you know, get your little like call button for a nurse. Uh, and it was, I think it was like 10 o'clock or something. It's pretty quiet in the uh, part of the hospital I was in. I was like, hey, like, you know, whenever you get a chance, I could probably use a bedpan in here. And like, okay, cool. Because you just pee into a bottle, which is great. And that's simple. But pooping, <laughs> you know, you need the bedpan. Um, but uh, so, yeah, they give me the bedpan. It's kind of like, oh, they leave. I'm hanging out for a while trying to, to make uh, sweet, sweet pudding. <laughs> and nothing nothing's happening and for some reason i don't know what it was but just like you know this, you had to poop and it's like all right here we go get the bedpan and you know six minutes later i was no longer worried about if i had was going to be able to poop before surgery i was worried about how much room for poop there was in the bedpan because <laughs> i took the biggest like craziest poop of my life it was <laughs> ridiculous and it wasn't i mean i was on so many laxatives and stool softeners and stuff that it wasn't like you know uh the south park uh giant turd <laughs> episode dear listener uh <laughs> it was just a lot of soft serve <laughs> but it was a horrifying amount and i'm done with this and it's in a bedpan i this is not an experience that i'd had before it was just kind of like, um, I'm done. <laughs> so I had to call up a nurse again. And there had been this rotating cast of nurses that had been like, hey, I'm going to hang out with you for the next six hours or 12 hours or however long it was. And I knew all of them. Um, but probably graciously, Harborview was like, when it comes time for someone to come in here and wipe your butt for you, we're going to give you a new person. <laughs> There's like a shift nurse that's just kind of like, Running around, like, getting water for people or whatever they need. Wait, shift nurse? Uh, shit nurse. Or shit nurse. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was this very, very friendly Indian man in probably his 60s uh, came in and was like, oh, okay, you need a little help? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, grabs, the, grabs the bedpan, goes into the bathroom and cleans that all out. <laughs> and in the middle of it, he gets a call, like, from another room or, like, from the coordinating nurse at the desk and is like, Oh, yeah, no, I'll be a little bit. Yeah. No, it's just a very, very large BM. It's kind of like, oh, God. <laughs> I'm sure I, I was a little bit proud because it was like, I made something this guy hasn't seen every day, and he's like fucking nursing <laughs> at the hospital. Um, very but, large. Yeah. But, you know, like six minutes later, he's like, well, can you roll over to your, your right a little bit? Well, let me try. Okay, yeah, that's good. Um, I think I got that butt cheek cleaned up. <laughs> like, like, sure, there's a right. lot of splashback in those bedpans. Like I said, it was it was soft serve. This was you know, <laughs> you're getting the chocolate vanilla swirl at Dairy Queen, <laughs> basically. Um, but uh, yeah, we we formed a a sacred bond that night. There's 
There's a quote that I like is the quickest way to fraternity is through mutual exhaustion. And we definitely reached that level of fraternity. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I really like the way that medical people talk about poop. <laughs> I well, cause I I had a, a bad infection through like most of January, and I kept going to uh. all of things, going to all of these doctors to be like, why the fuck am I in so much pain? And all of them would just turn around after whatever they did to diagnose and be like, you're really constipated. And I was like, yeah, no shit. Like, that's part of this. But I know that is not, (laughs) I know that's not the cause. But they all, like, loved talking about that and loved, like, springing it on me. Like, I was going to be like, oh, that's it? Sorry for wasting your time. But, like, again, we go back to this where I was like, I'm a vegan. I'm used to shitting, like, four times a day. Like, this is not normal. I didn't – I'm not just constipated. But um, I went in for an ultrasound to see if I had ovarian cysts. And my bowels were literally so full that the ultrasound tech couldn't find one of my ovaries for like 10 (laughs) minutes she just kept like massaging my stomach and being like i'm sorry there's just so much bowel i can't get a good look at it (laughs) and i just i really appreciated the candor with which she talked about that that makes me think of like when we took our cat into the vet and they were like checking her stomach and they were like there's a little boop there's a little poop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, another weird thing with the imaging and uh, my hip injury thing. After I uh, went back in for a follow-up, it was like the first time I actually saw an x-ray of all the screws in me and stuff. It was really fascinating and like re- looking really closely at the uh, x-ray. And you could even see just the tissue on like each side, each leg. Um the leg that it was injured was a little bit fainter just because there had been, you know, uh, muscle atrophy. But the weird thing is, like, on this x-ray, there's this little, like, nub kind of thing in the middle of my gut. And I was like, is that poop? Is that, like, my intestines? What the hell is that? And I was staring at it for, like, a good five minutes. And before it dawned on me that that was just a little outline of my doodle. <laughs> just like, Wait, your dick? Yeah, it was just like... Um, <laughs> A uh, nutsack and a penis, just like, <laughs> right there on the x-ray. Like, I've been staring at my own dick on an x-ray for five minutes going, what the fuck is that what thing? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anything like it before in my life. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. They just flop your peen onto your stomach. Well, it's just an x-ray. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, just a picture. I don't have one, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's, they don't. They don't X-ray lady bits. <laughs> yeah, unless yeah, it's like life like or death. Re- yeah, I've never. But it was just my my hip area. It was like yeah. yeah, from about you know, like I said before, the bottom of my crotch to about <laughs> my belly button or so. What was in the X-ray? And, they um, don't put like a, a X-ray shield over your balls or anything. No, and I got a lot of X-rays. So good luck on the uh, uh, whole, pre- whole pregnancy <laughs> bone. Yeah, we'll see. Yep. Maybe we will have to adopt both our ch- 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 children. <laughs> Jello ch- ch- and ch- Beyonce. Children. Yeah. No, Jello Beyonce is going to be one of our children. <laughs> no. Our other child will be named Milo. 
Uh, goes to college. Yeah. <laughs> My... <laughs> Milo goes to college. Uh... We had a baby eats a boy. <laughs> If we have anything to say about it, definitely. <laughs> uh, it's going to be terrible to have kids just because they'll be like, oh my god, punk rock is so dumb. They're going to be really gonna... EDM. And... Oh no! <laughs> Future music. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to be into the noises their cranial implants make. EDMSR? EDMSR? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably already a thing. Yeah, yeah probably. Are we done? I think we're done. Well, don't forget to air out your bones. And your vagina. And, you know, your scrot. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever you got downstairs. And make sure to clean it in the essence of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. With something other than ditch water. <laughs> or dish water. Unless it's an emergency. <laughs> in which case, use what you got. <laughs> Find your closest ditch. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Thanks for having me. something gross that you want to tell stories about let us know and be on our podcast you can email us at gross bod with a b cast at gmail.com